That was a great job leading, let me tell you that. I gotta give you props, that was really good. I thoroughly enjoyed that prayer too. It is like the old hymn, prone to wander, prone to leave it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. So, here's the deal. Every year, God gives me something. Every year. I don't know why. Three years ago, it was the word invest. We had shirts made. Summit is so weird. Okay. Summit is so ghetto. Let me get spiritual. That we said, in order to be a member at Summit, we want you to invest. And where did that come from? He said, Jesus said, as you're going, life on mission, make disciples of all ethne, translated nations. So he says, as you're going, make disciples. So we said this, to follow Christ is not just one who's a disciple of Christ. To follow Christ is one who is a disciple for Christ. So we said, hey, to be a member at Summit, which is weird. We don't like even publish the stuff. People just come up and say, hey, can I be a member? We're like... Sure, let's sprinkle some holy water on you. No, I'm kidding. And um, give me a gift card. No, I'm kidding. Um, but we say, yeah, and we just kind of explain who we are. And we say, listen, we want you to be a disciple of Jesus, but we want you to disciple others for Jesus. We don't care if it's one. We don't care if it's 20. We don't care if it's 2,000. Now, here's what happens. If a lot of churches moved in that way, the church roles would be purged. I love when people say, we got 1,200 members. You might have 300 show up. Even the FBI can't even find the people that are missing. Just telling you. Hey, what happened? So then the next year, we said out of Colossians 1.27, we said, you know what? It's the year of hope because we believe that God wants us to be people that bring hope to the world. So Jesus said, well, Paul said this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we based everything off Colossians 1.27. And so everything that we did Followed everything in the back. What did it look like with Christ in us that made us hopeful? Because we got to be the ones that are looking at the world in a totally different way. Because the world can only see what the world can see. But we see the one who sees outside of the world. So we see things totally different. We see tragedy. And we say there can be triumph. We see failure. But we know it's not final. And when we see nothing, we see a future. Because we know that there's something about Jesus that's bigger than what we see. So we look at the promises of God and we trust those promises. And we say, okay, God, I don't feel you. I don't even see you. I don't feel like I even know you. But your promises are so true that they've cut this Bible up for thousands and thousands of years. And it has still stood the test of time. So we're going to trust you. So then last year was a year of courage. Because we know to walk with Christ... He's going to take us to places where we won't go ourselves. Jesus told Peter right before he died, he said, look, before Peter died, after Christ was resurrected, he said, listen, people are going to lead you where you don't want to go. But don't worry about it because you're going to glorify me in that death. Even death becomes a servant that leads us to Christ. Death is not the final Victor, I tell people all the time at funerals, when you know where somebody's going, you haven't lost them. Now that's a good word. When you know where something is, you didn't lose it. And when you know when your loved one is, listen, our last breath 
is the first breath in the arms of Jesus, and we fully know. I want to encourage you. I, I, I think it was Rebecca Pollitt who taught me this. Uh, it wasn't Jeremy. Uh, you got to remember, Jeremy outkicked his punk coverage. Just listen to me on this. Trust me. I, I know what I'm talking about. I officiated their wedding, and uh, which was one of the sweetest weddings I've seen. Jeremy was over here. We were staying over here, and she walked down the aisle, and he ran all the way over there to see her come down the aisle. I mean, it was it really was beautiful, and after that, it's just gone downhill with Jeremy. But, <laughs> but if you've ever read C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce, on page 67, it just spoke to my heart because Rebecca talked to me. And you see what happens. That This is what's going to happen. In hell, people are going to look. They're going to be so broken that they said, in hell, they're going to look and say, God, I traded you for that in life? Let me break it down for you. I traded you for that man. I traded you for that job. I traded you for that moment of pleasure. I traded you for that drug. I traded you for this desire. And they are going to be broken. And we who are in heaven, in the arms of Christ, will look at God and say, God, even in the midst of that person's death that was my parent or loved one or that broken relationship or that job that went wrong, in the middle of that, we will see clearly and we will say, you carried me in the midst of that. And even our brokenness on earth will be praise in heaven. The great divorce, C.S. Lewis. It's a, good, it's a good opportunity to see things in a reframe in a new way. So I'm not going to give you the word today. And it is burning in me. I will mess it up. I mean, God has given me not only what it is for this year. Like he's, we're, we're going to take a journey through someone's life. And you're going to see something totally different. So if you can't get here next Sunday, unless Jesus comes back, then you've got to find a way to get it. Because I promise you, it'll change you. So, what do we have today? Well, one, you all made it through a new year. God is good. So that means, hopefully, God's going to allow us to eat for another year. That's a highlight. Two, since Jesus is resurrected, Christmas never ends. So all the food and carbs and chocolate that you ate over Christmas, you will continually eat. I will remind you that all you people that are paleo and all your little 24-day challenges coming up, Julian, with your little team, that Jesus is the bread of life, not the protein of life. So if you're in protein, you're in sin. The sacrificial system is done. Jesus believes in carbs. Carbs. He said bread, not a cow. So... Now that we've cleared that up, you're still going to do it anyway. So we're all, all right. So now, Genesis 1-1, let's turn there. Woo! Go ahead, Jesus. This is going to start right at the beginning. Right at the old beginning. So I'm going to let it out for you. Here we go. I'm going to make it simple. It's all on Facebook so you can see it. Here's what I want to say. Here's the whole point today. When Jesus is in the beginning, this is the point. He will make everything right. Now, I know some of you are going to say, but what happens if I was in a relationship or I started a school or I went to a career where I didn't really seek Jesus uh, and then all of a sudden Jesus has taken over my life and I've surrendered to the call to die so that he might live. And, and so what does that look like? We're going to answer those questions. But here's the whole point. When you and I call to die, when we submit, surrender, I like that language, to Jesus in the beginning, then everything that happens will be made right. This year, if we submit to Jesus in the beginning, then everything that happens 
will be made right. See, it's, I love when people say, I just hope that this new, this year is just going to be free of everything. That's so contrary to scripture. Jesus said, in this world, yeah. So God's not going to give us a year that contradicts his word. God is not schizophrenic. He doesn't say one thing and do another. He's going to tell. So guess what? There will be ups and there will be downs. But here's the good news. When Jesus starts something, he finishes. Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. We know that in Hebrews chapter 12 that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I just love the passages in Revelation where it says that Jesus is not only King of kings and Lord of lords, but he is the alpha and the yeah, he's the beginning and the end. When Jesus starts something, he doesn't stop till it's done. So how can I qualify my statement about Jesus in the beginning? I love this. Genesis 1-1. All right, so let's, let's pray. Uh, and, and that prayer was so powerful. We went right in line. Lord, uh, you know I don't want to come with wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of spirit and power. The only way I can do that is submit to every word, every thought to you. So Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, Father. And so I pray that there's no other voices but you. And then we know Isaiah 55 takes place, that your word never returns void, and it will accomplish what is set out to. We know later in the prophets that though your word may tarry, wait for it. So bring it, Jesus. Bring it. So we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is continually reminding us of your word, seeking the power in your presence. And so since we've been sealed by your spirit, we know that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You began this year, God. Now we ask you to finish it. Whatever it is that you have coming, we know that you will be glorified in it. So we're going to trust your promises more than we trust our emotions. We're going to trust your word more than we trust in what we can see. And we're going to trust that you are real more than we trust what we know. So today, Lord, speak to us. So please forgive me of my sins that I might speak your words clearly, hear from you clearly. Forgive us, Lord, even though you have. We just submit and acknowledge that. That the only way we can overcome is by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So we ask that you do this today because you are faithful. And all God's people said what? Amen. Genesis 1, 1. In the what saints? God created the heaven and the earth. This is why the Holy Spirit led me to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, I, I, earth, I, I've taught you this, but I want you to know, John Selhammer, again, a great guy. He's gone to be with Jesus. He was a wonderful professor in seminary where I was, but brilliant, brilliant mind. He, here's, here's the whole deal. And it, it was, he was a man that had suffering. I've taught you this. He was a man that I would watch his Down syndrome son sit about right there on the front row in every chapel, and his son put me to shame in the worship of Jesus. Because he knew Jesus in a way it appeared to me in his worship that I didn't know him. He wasn't a man without problems. One of the greatest scholars we have. One of the greatest Hebrew technicians ever. 
has impacted the professor's hearing. But to watch his son taught me a lot about the man. And so to see this, he made a point. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning. That word is interesting because we know that Jesus is in the midst of this. Now, how can I say that if Jesus is in the beginning, he will make everything right? How can I superimpose in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth? Uh, that's a name for God, right? Name. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How can I then say, where's Jesus in that verse? Jesus said, the law and the prophets, come on somebody, testify about me. So how can I how can I just make, do I just make this up because, well, Jesus is the sinner. Jesus is the sinner of it all. You don't want me to say. All right, so, but you see my point? How, how can I say that? Because it's interesting. Jesus said something in John chapter 8. He said, in verse 57, the Pharisees, they were hammering Jesus in John chapter 8, 57. They were saying, Jesus, how can you say all these things? And then they say in verse 57, you are not yet 50 years old. We know Jesus died around he was 33. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. This is in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 57. Jesus is claiming to have seen Abraham, and they're saying, you're not 50 years old, bro. How do you see Abraham? Abraham was way long time before you, a thousand years, long, 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 long time for you. Way, 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 thousands of thousands. No way. Verse 58. In the Greek, it says, amen. Or translated, very truly, I say to you. Or I tell you, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was, what does he say? I am. Interesting word. Interesting phrase, I am. Because it's a direct correlation to Exodus chapter 3, when Moses said, when the people, you want me to go down to you want me to go over there to Egypt. I'm over here in the desert. You want me to go over to Egypt. And you want me to be used by you to rescue your people, the Hebrews. And you want me to rescue them. And they're going to say, who sent you? And God said to Moses, you tell them that I am sent you. Now, here's what's interesting. You say, well, I am. And Jesus saying I am. Isn't that just kind of play on words of vernacular? No. Because in that passage, when he says this, and can you put that up, by the way, Robbie? Can you put up John chapter 8? I just want to, I want to make a point. John chapter 8, verse 58, when he says, very truly, or amen in the Greek, he says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, he says, I am. Now, some of you that have already taken Christian class, Christian studies, know this. But it's interesting. So as, as you see in this passage, he says, before Abraham was born, I am. What he says is, oh, look, I want to show you. This is too good. Amen, amen. That's Greek. I say to you, before Abraham was born, here's what it is in the Greek. E-G-O, ego, E-I-M-I. Amen. Ego, amen. Now that means nothing to you, but it means a whole lot in the translation. Because he is saying, I'll go over here so you can see it. This side is pretty powerful. Is that before Abraham was born, I am. Ego, me. he is saying before Abraham was, I. Ego means I in the Greek. me is I am. 
Jesus just claimed to be God. Is anybody tracking me? He said, I, I am. Now, if you read the rest of the passage, they're going to kill him. Well, what's amazing, every time people tried to kill Jesus, they couldn't until they knew it was his time to lay down his life. Nobody killed Jesus. He laid it down. Ego in me. I, I am. He is saying, I am. Now, before you get this Molinism, I'm excuse me, modalism. I said modalism, what's different? Modalism. When you pray, or when Jesus was in the garden praying, he was not praying to himself. He was praying to the Father. It, 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 it's not that Jesus, God, had taken now the form of Jesus. No, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Now, this is a terrible, 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 if you infinite regress and deconstruct this philosophically, you will break it down. But you say, how can God be in three parts? Well, how can an egg? Not a great example. I can't give you a better example. That's the only one I can, couldn't, John Davis in his little mind can conceptualize. There's an eggshell, there's an egg white, and there's an egg yolk. But we still call it an egg. Now, it's not a good illustration because you can break it down. But it's, it gives you an idea, right? That because there's still three parts, it's still an egg. Well, if there's three parts of God, he's still God. Jesus claimed to be God. First point. But when Jesus is the beginning, he makes everything right. Look at this. Go back to Genesis 1-1, Rob, if you don't mind. So Genesis 1-1. In the what, saints? Genesis 1-1. In the what? Okay, so now this is interesting because he says, in the beginning... God created. So we've taught you this through John Selham, which is brilliant. If in the beginning God created, watch this. Now go to Colossians 1 for me, if you don't mind, Robbie. I know I'm just sending you everywhere today. But since you've got that heretical Atlanta Braves hat on, you need to get right with Jesus. Colossians 1.15. Uh, I told you to go. All right. Jesus says he is the image of... That he is there referring to Jesus. Paul is writing to, to the church in Colossae. By the way, he's in prison when he writes it, right? He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the what, saints? Woo! The firstborn over all creation. Now, here's what's powerful about that. Well, let's just keep reading, and then I'll go back to Genesis 1. Uh, for by Jesus, that's the word him, for by Jesus all things were what? In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Oh, by the way, Colossians 1.17, in Jesus, he holds what? All things together. If you want your year to be held together, you got to do it in the firstborn. Go back to verse 15, please. Colossians 1.15, which is powerful in the sense because he says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, when you, when you see that in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the what saints? Talk to me. Firstborn. firstborn. Now, Genesis, we don't need to turn, you can leave this up there, Robbie. Genesis 1.1. In the What? God created. In Hebrew, it really 
this should be translated, not in the beginning. The Hebrew word there is really the word firstborn. So let's put it correctly. Genesis 1.1. In the firstborn, God created the heavens and the earth. That's good. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. In the firstborn, God created. If you and I want this year to count for something through highs and lows, right and left, whatever is coming, there's something bigger than what's coming. And his name is Jesus. If Jesus starts it, he will finish it. And it is our responsibility to do this to the Lord. We surrender because it's a call to die. Following Jesus is not a call for God to come with me. It's me go with him. And my flesh says, I don't want to go with him because mm, I'm going to get ahead. In other words, there's a difference as some are saying, between the creator and the creation. We need the creator. Look, go back to Genesis 1 now, Robbie. This is so good. We need the creator to step into the creation. In the beginning, in the firstborn, God created the heavens and the earth. Look at verse 2. The earth was without what? Sometimes we don't know where we're going. And void. Things are empty without Jesus. It's meaningless without Jesus Christ. When you and I come to... Jimmy, you're in the back. Jimmy's mother at Christmas died, went to be with the Lord. His cousin committed suicide on the same day. And his best friend, who he introduced me to, had a heart attack later on. So that was his Christmas. Void is our life without victory over death. Can I get a witness on that? The earth was in out form and void, and darkness was over the face of the... Listen, this is so beautiful. People, the problem with Christianity is because we go to... I'm going to talk about preachers. We give you sermons on little bits of pieces of passages, and so you learn stories. Jonah was swallowed by a whale. David killed Goliath. Jesus died on the cross. Paul or Saul at the time, was knocked off his horse. Oh, wow. Saul was the first king. Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho. We learned Moses, Ten Commandments. Abraham, ooh, Mufasa. You know, <laughs> we learn all these stories, but we can't put them together. And so our Christian life is we walk around and we compartmentalize. Well, we learn, well, this is what Abraham did and this is what Moses did. And then we try to put it together. Listen, it's all one big narrative. Now there's poetry in it. Yes, there's different type of genre within it. Yes, it's chiastic poems and all this. Yes, but in the midst of it all, it's all, Genesis 1-1 is the foundation of all. In the firstborn, God created, and without the firstborn, there's nothing but form, without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Can I get a witness? Without Jesus, it is a dark world. Without God, there was no form, there was void, and there was darkness. But with God comes light. You can't, okay, all right, I'm going to get ahead. We need the creator to step in. 
This new year, before I give you the word of the year, we need the creator to step in. Creation without God is nothing. Without Jesus is nothing. Marriages without Jesus is nothing. You say it. You put down my marriage. No, I'm telling you, you need to step up in your marriage. Because anything less than God is way less. And by the way, he holds all things together. We wonder why the divorce rate is 70%. Because Jesus is void about 70% of the time. We need the creator to step in. Earth can be translated as land as well. Now here's what's interesting. Uh, go back to, see the earth. That word earth, Eretz in Hebrew, it, it can be translated as land. It's, this is a whole narrative talking about the promised land. Do you, do you understand what he's saying? If God doesn't go into the land, the land is jacked up. If God doesn't, that's why Moses looked at it. That's what Moses, Exodus 33, you can read it for yourself. Moses said, God, if you don't go with me, I'm going to put it in John's terms. Well, he says this. I'm not going, but I'll put it in my terms. I ain't going. I ain't going. You don't, you don't go with me. If God doesn't go with my children, or should I say, if my children don't go with God, their world will end up being jacked up. And you can only self-medicate. Come on, somebody. You can only self-medicate your pain so far. All right, God. Oh, oh, oh. My brother, uh, James, um, he, we were with him for three days. My, my brother was so good to us. He, he, right, Zach, Lauren, he bought us, he bought us tickets three days to Disney World. He paid for everything, didn't he? And, I mean, if we would have wanted gifts, he'd have done everything. And I was so proud of my little, my, my little son, Jake, and he didn't ask for one thing. And I went to buy him something. He looked at me and said, Dad, you don't have the money. Ten-year-old. Kind of made me want to weep and cry. And I was like, mm, I'm proud of you. And I said, you're right, preach. <laughs> go ask your go ask your uncle. So, uh, what's that on Christmas vacation? What's the cousin? Ask me. And so I told my brother James, get yourself something too. All right. So, all right. So I'm just saying. So what happens is we go on this. We go down there for three days. He pays for everything. Every hopper pass. Every place. Everybody. Every meal. Um, he had a, he had an itinerary for us. Like, literally, I mean, Jake, and, I've never been to Epcot, now I remember. I mean, my kid, Jake and I never even been. Last time J.D. and Josh went, Lauren, was when my brother got married there. And they don't remember because both of them got sick throwing up the whole time. It was just nasty. I was like, oh, this is horrible. This is like the trip from whatever. And so, and, 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 and so we go down, we had, we had an absolute blast. But here's what's interesting about all that. I said this on my, my brother because here's what happens. He began to talk to us. Uh, Tuesday, he gets named Super Lawyer in North Carolina. Dude's just getting, God is knocking his world out. Though he's had to go through some really tough times in tribulations. God's blessing. You stand humble for the Lord. But he, so he meets with the number one guy from Harvard. He meets with the number one neuropharmacologist. How many times did we hear that word? <laughs> so at 1.30 in the morning, we're out in front of his little timeshare, and he's talking about neuropharmacology. And he says, now listen. And he's got all the kids there. And, you know, Jenkins like this. He's like a weevil. He's just about to go to sleep. You know, yeah. you know? everybody's, uh, you know, you're, you're watching, but you don't know what he's saying. You're, I don't see you, John Cena. And so, and my, that was funny. And so we're looking at him. And, and he's saying, listen, listen, now, kids, 
I got to teach you. I got to teach you. I'm with the top people in the world. He says, listen, if you want to be lazy and dumb and have really no life, smoke dope. I thought we were in the happiest place in the world. We're talking about dope. I thought, we were, I thought Mickey was here. And he's, he's, I mean, he's such a motivator, right? So, and he's talking about this pharmacologist stood up, this neuropharmacologist, number one in the nation, the top guy. And he goes through the synapses in the brain. And he tells you how it's a gateway drug to each drug. And then we finally get to meth and what it does and how it destroys all the membranes and how it destroys your synapses. And you become, basically, you become schizophrenic and you become all kinds of neurological diseases through that off one hit. And he goes through the whole progress of what. So at the end of the day was basically, if you do drugs, you're going to die. The number one pharmacologist says, the number one guy in the whole world meets with these super lawyers and says, this is where it's going. There's no such thing as recreation. In, in other words, what I'm trying to say is, I say all that to say is because I have smoked dope and I used it to self-medicate my pain. So what happened was, when I was in high school and I couldn't be what other people wanted to be, and then I had to create, come on somebody, I had my own identity. And so it becomes, it becomes a way to self-medicate, to self-medicate what's really inside of me. Here's what I'm saying. You can only self-medicate so much before you destroy yourself. That's why we are without form and void. We are without identity and emptiness without Jesus. In the firstborn, God created. But creation is screaming for Jesus to come and make it right. So, Genesis 1-1 is the foundation to the Bible. I love what Sam said. The purpose of the statement is threefold. To identify the creator, explain the origin of the world, and the work of the past and the work of the future. So here's the question. John, what if something was started without Jesus? Is it doomed to fail? Let me break it down. This is how Lynette and I got married. You a Christian? Yeah. You a Christian? Yeah. Okay, we're good. I'm not... I, 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 that's not good enough. But in the end, then, so we're married, and then one day I sensed a call to ministry, though I was called at 18 and I just wanted to run from it because I told you preachers are weirdos. I want to look like them. I don't want to have a comb over. I don't want to walk around like this. With pants up high. You know, that's just not a good visual. I don't want to be that guy. That's not who I want to be. I want to be the guy that when I go into the grave, that I'm squatting 700 pounds and I have an aneurysm and I get it and then I fall out. <laughs> yes. Like that's, I don't want to go in the grave going, well, let me just slow everything down. See, as you get older, how many times came tell us, I just want everybody to know in the room, as you get older, this is, this is some neurological training. As you get older, you try to make your world very small. Why? Because you become... Ultimately, and you're afraid. It's what you, you, you can't control things. Things get away from you. So you try to make your world smaller as you get older. That's why people move on farms, and that's why they move this. Nothing wrong. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying it, you try to control your world more and more and more. And so what happens, he's told me, he says, I mean, he's giving me, Lord, will be 61 this year. He says, I'm trying to stretch my world. I want to make myself, my world larger. And it started hitting me. That's exactly what God does. God calls us to the ends of the world, earth. God is continually, when you go with Jesus, he's going to take you to places that are formless and void. 
Because it is only in the beginning. If Jesus is in the beginning, if my world is in the firstborn, he will make everything right. So what happens if it's not in the beginning? Is it too late? Is it doomed to fail? Maybe more, and the Holy Spirit, I'm going to read what the Holy Spirit shared with me. Maybe a more refined question is, can God bless a mess? Or can God anoint any person in any situation? The answer is yes and no. In other words, the answer is yes, but there's some conditions or facts. Let me just give you two. We'll land us. Here we go. Number one, the first fact is, is that if Jesus is in the beginning, nothing or no one is too far for his touch. God's arm is not too short. The question is, is my faith too small? So what happens is, the word, let's go back to that um, Form without forming void. Let me give you this definition. Because darkness, uh, Sarah Hammer said this, listen, look what it says. When the earth was out, forming void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Listen to this. Because darkness was upon the land, the land, and the land was covered with water, therefore no one could see what it should be. God's going to send us to places. We are going to be in relationships with people. That outside of Jesus, we would never talk to. Come on, tell the truth, shame the devil. Half of us would not know one another. Let's just, come on, come on. You would not talk to me. You would walk right past me in school. Mm, trash. Kept walking. <laughs> you know you would have said that. And it was true. So my point is, is that no one's too far, but because of darkness. When darkness is in the world, when darkness is in someone's heart, when darkness is in their life, nobody can see what only God can see. Their world is going to be formless and void. It's going to be, as Selmer said, empty, dark, and barren. The condition of the land is in a not yet state before God made it good. What did God do? Go to verse 3. You see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. It's interesting that God's presence was in the face of darkness. God is sending you and I to, to, to people that are broken, that are dark. He's sending us to places and jobs that are dark, that are formless and void because the Spirit of God in us is in those places and it's hovering. We're in places moving around in those places and in the middle of it, God's going to say in verse 3, this is what's so powerful, and in verse 3, and God said, this is great, let there be what? And there was light. God saw that the light was what, saints? Good. I am not good. But Jesus, the light of the world, in me makes it good. So we go to dark places that are jacked up and our flesh goes, why are we here? What are we doing? We are complete idiots. Get out. Get out. It's like going to a whorehouse. Right, and you're, and God's saying, "No, stay, stay." And then there's this wage of war going in us, and we're like, "Okay, so if I feed my spirit, I'm going to be able to stand strong for the Lord and the power of His might. If I feed my flesh, I'm like, I'm out of here like a fat kid in dodgeball. Boom, <laughs> fat kid in dodgeball. First one out, more space. So when I go to velocity sports, I've gone a couple times before my hip got even worse, and and I'm in there with all those little kids. And I'm thinking one. If I throw the ball at you, I could take you out, and that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> and you can go cry to your mama. Or two, I'm going to sacrifice myself for others. So you ask my kids, 
there's a little pad in the middle that separates one side of the other. And this is what I do every time. I get in the front and I just start screaming and running back and forth. <laughs> and every little kid's eyes light up as if they had the best Christmas present in the world and there's like 50 balls coming right at me. I'm always the first one out. Always. Fat kid in dodgeball. But I sacrifice myself so that somebody else might live. And God is going to call you and I this year. That if God is in the beginning of this year, then we will finish this year strong. But you're going to get the word next week. So, fullness and void. The condition of the land is in a not yet. People are in a not yet state. But somebody's got to put light because if they don't have light, all they see is fullness and void because darkness means you can't see. Right? You get up when it's dark, you can't see. Right? You go in the bathroom in the middle of the night, you're like, <laughs> you know, drools down here, you know, you, right? You can't see. You fall around because darkness blinds people. But when the light goes on, the land was uninhabitable. When we go to places, we're like, I don't want to stay here. Do you? I don't want to be in this relationship. Do you? It's uninhabitable without Jesus. But what happens is, look what happens. Until God made it ready. The condition, in other words, the condition of the land is shot until God's gracious work comes about. So Emerson. So God's call is light and life. And the wilderness waits restoration. Look at Romans. Uh, turn to Romans 8 um, in your Bibles if you want to. Romans 8, uh, 22 and 24. I just, the Holy Spirit was showing me this earlier and I just wanted to add this. Sorry, Robbie. Uh, Romans 8, to show you what light is going to do. Romans 8, 22 and 24. See, this is darkness. The whole, we know the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, this is a metaphor. This is a metaphor. More tsunamis, more earthquakes, wars, rumors, war. Jesus said there'll be wars and rumors of wars before he comes, right? There'll be more famine. So it's coming. Darkness is there until the light in the believers. Mm -hmm. Verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, the light. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus said in Matthew 5, right? I'm, I use this scripture all the time so we can memorize it. Let your light so before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Light and darkness, we have form and we're not void because the void has been filled with Jesus, but we step around people and in places who don't know where they're going, don't know right from left, in darkness, self-medicating, trying to follow whatever dream they got. Most of the people are frustrated because they ain't going to get there. And by the way, like my brother said, uh, he is yet to meet a very wealthy person who is truly, truly happy. But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to the sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. The earth is growing for us, for the children of God to be named, to be seen. So, when things are formless and void, look for the light. John eight twelve, 
when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There is darkness, but in the firstborn God created. So in Jesus, we walk into a place and we become his light. Uh, uh, Genesis 1 puts it like this. Uh, turn to Genesis 1, uh, 26. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our what? Image. So here's what's interesting. When we walk in the image of God, that word image can mean shadow. So here's what happens. When we walk into a place that doesn't know Jesus, uh, the light of Jesus in us casts a shadow around us that shows his presence. Peace, love, joy, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of those fruits, right? And on and on and on. He casts grace. He casts mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment, right? All these things. We become those type of people. We, the, being in the image of God means casting the shadow of God or the shadow of Jesus. What does that look like? Who he is. What's beautiful about this passage is that God is not a faceless deity. Second thing. See how much that. Second thing, when Jesus is in the beginning, there's always a place for us to shine the brightness. Watch. Genesis 2, 8. So man was made in God's image to cast his shadow. And God told him in Genesis 1, I want you to rule over all these things. In other words, rule over the birds of the air and the fish and, and, and take care of it and make it better. But here's what happens. When God moves in our life, this is what we don't like. I'm, I'm gonna, I can't, shouldn't superimpose it on you. This is what I don't like. Because I constantly feel like my life counts for nothing as I become more fleshly. But the more time I spend with Christ and the more that Christ is in me because I'm consumed. Every time you go into Christ, something's going to die and it's going to be me. It's not going to be him. But he's going to remind me what he's got. Look at, look at Genesis 2.8. Now he's made man in his image. Now the Lord God, look at verse 8, had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he did what, saints? Remember, Adam was not made... Adam was not born in the garden. Adam was placed in the garden. Genesis 2.15, he says it again. God's repeating himself. It's interesting. Show Genesis 2.15 there, please, Robin, if you don't mind. Genesis 2.15 says this. It's interesting. The Lord God took the man and did what, saints? And he just said it in verse 8. Why is he saying it again? Because he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The light of Christ in us is going to cast a shadow of our physical bodies in a presence that's dark and void and they're going to see what does this light look like and it looks like a place of peace. We are men and women of peace. We are called to do something for God. This is the year that God says if I'm in the beginning of it I will finish it and God is not a liar. But for the world to get to that place, it's going to take redemption. Adam was created. So there has to be something created in us. His presence. We're all born. And most of us, my guess is, that we're born again in this room. 
So God has created his presence within us. He has redeemed us. Uh, and this is what we see um, King David say in Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. In other words, there's this place of change. Once we have the presence of the Holy Spirit within us, the Lord will lead us, I love this, to new borders. I say, how many would say the word border? And Jesus now not only becomes our redeemer, but he becomes our shepherd. Genesis 48, verse 15. I'm going to close with this. Genesis 48, verse 15. What a powerful passage. So Israel, right, Jacob, his name's been changed to Israel's blessing his children. He's getting ready to die. Verse 15. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked faithfully, the God who has been my what? To this very day. All my life, God has been the shepherd. He's not only our redeemer, but he is our shepherd. He is the one who leadeth us beside the still waters. He is the one who restores our soul. He leadeth in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So when you're in a place for Jesus, you might not get the name. You might not get the fame, but Jesus will. And John the Baptist understood that. So he said, I must decrease so that he might increase. Where Jesus is more, there will be less of a male or female personality. What I mean by that is, you won't see the pastor as a rock star. You'll see the risen star. Two questions. Robert, will you come play over me? Just kind of prophetically before we go into it. So the point today is, if Jesus is in the beginning, he will finish it. I think it's, I think it's unbelievable that God led us to this message on the first day. The first day of the year was a day to worship corporately. Isn't that interesting? We go right to the beginning of Scripture because he has a word for us already next week. And we're going to see it play out all the way up to Easter, which is uh, early in April. We're going to take this journey on this word, showing you how it plays out, the word that God has for us this year. To the best that I can understand. And listen, I know it's from him because it's his word. So it's for everybody. And so what's going to happen is, are we going to today say, God, at the beginning of this year, I come to you to die. Now you said, but John, I'm already saved. What does that mean? It means this. It means that, God, I am surrendering this year to you. You are now not just my redeemer, my savior, but you are my shepherd. He's a redeemer shepherd, Genesis 48. So God's got to lead us. But the only way for us not to self-medicate and go wild is, is to come to the place where he leads us by, by the waters that are still. Leads us to places that calms our soul. So he's going to take us to places of utter chaos. But in the midst of chaos, people are going to say, how do you have peace? And we say our peace is not in our circumstance. Our peace is in his presence. And where he is.
See, the Holy Spirit lives within us. The Holy Spirit says, go here, go here. And we're like, uh-uh. Our mind goes, oh, let's calculate the plus minuses. Okay, I'm not sure. But when this and this line up, we go. Because this will overcome whatever this question. Now, if we try to just go with this and our heart's not in it, well, you're in trouble. But if this says go and this says, I'm scared, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus and you'll go. And you'll go to this place. To the believers in this room, to let God be assured of this Which is a call to die. It's not going to be easy. follow me and I will make you fishers of men for I'm crucified with Christ and yet I live not but Christ who lives in me so call to die you are buried with Christ in baptism you're going to die following Jesus and here's what I know you might say that sounds so cold but here's what happens the more I love Jesus the dreams he has for me are way more satisfying than the dreams I have for myself because his presence is sweet been with a believer that's dying, you know what I'm talking about. The peace that they have. It's unbelievable. This year, if Jesus is in the beginning, you and I will make a difference. And it will be fully complete in the firstborn God created. Will you let him create in you? Here's the next question. Before he can be your shepherd, he has to be a redeemer. You can try to save yourself. Scripture teaches at the end, you can't save yourself. Because only the creator is a match for sin, not us. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, we're no match. It's your choice. I love that. I love the limited free will of God. I love it. Because he gives us an opportunity to surrender. Now, does he already know the will? Yes. Do they deem those as chosen? Yes. But you have a response. It's your choice. And in doing so, the believers in this room, will you dedicate this year to Jesus? And how do you, how can we physically do that in a way like this? I think it's an interesting one. I think we do what we did a week ago. I think we just stay seated. And if you feel, or two weeks ago, if you feel that you sense God saying, dedicate your family, yourself. You can't dedicate your family, you dedicate yourself. You can't de- dedicate your job, you dedicate yourself. You can't dedicate your children, you dedicate yourself. Will you come and die so that Christ might live? And if that's you, then when they sing over us and, and we're praying, I want you to stand and pray and say, God, I dedicate this year, you begin in me. This year belongs to you. You, in the firstborn, create in me the will that you have for me. And I know this, that you will finish whatever you start. When I doubt, your will is stronger. When I'm weak, your presence is greater. And where I'm frustrated, your spirit is sweeter. God, you go ahead and do what you call me to do. If you don't know the Lord in
So that is my prayer is that you may just sing it for us when you stay seated. We just say, okay. When Jesus is in the beginning, he will make everything right. That's the whole point. He'll make everything right. And so, Lord, for it to, for this year to be right, you've got to be in the beginning. You gotta be, and it's interesting that we're worshiping the first day of the year. And we can come right out the get-go and say, hey, this first day of the year, God, we are saying to you, take over the beginning. Take over right now. So, Lord, if there are believers in this room that just want to say, hey, take over me and then take over my children or take over my job or take over my singleness or take over my relationship or take over my family or whatever that might be, Lord. If those believers in this room, as we begin, as and they feel you calling them, then I pray right now that as I am praying that they would just stand. That it's their heart to say, God, take over this beginning. firstborn God created. Create in me whatever your will is, Lord. In the firstborn, in the beginning, create in me. Though I might go to darkness, you will give me light. Though I might go to something that's void, you will give me understanding. And though, Lord, it might seem broken and discombobulated and in total disarray, God, you will take brokenness and bring beauty. And Lord, if there's people that just want to come and kneel and pray, let them come kneel and pray. And come to the front, and come to the sides. And we are free in Jesus. This is our call. And then Lord, if there's someone in this room that does not know you, they're no match for sin. There's a God who has answered the death sentence and satisfied righteousness, who has satisfied the payment of our sin problems and can make us new. And you did it all because you love us when we didn't love you and when we were enemies. So I pray for all the people in this room that don't know you. There's a Jesus that is calling. It's not about having a better life. It's about having a new God. We need to step off the throne and surrender to the God of truth. God, we dedicate this year to you. 